getting to know you too. So let's begin with prayer as we begin our conversation today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day, and we ask that you would open our ears this morning, our, our hearts. Lord, help us to put the distractions aside for just a few minutes. Lord, in our entire week, Lord, this is a moment we get to fully engage with, with ideas and Scripture and the things of God, so help us to be all in today. Lord, if sleep overtakes us, I know it's been a long week for some, Lord, help us just to have that a little extra energy just to fully be fully present here. Lord, I pray that, that this is a day that we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Hudson Taylor was born in 1832. He was a successful pharmacist. Uh, he had made his way into that profession, gone to medical school, did everything he needed to do back then, and he had a thriving business as a pharmacist. Now, in the 1800s, early 1800s, if you were successful, that was rare. Because most people, they worked hard and they did everything they could just to survive and to eat. And, and this man was successful. He found a way. But something in him just kind of it just tugged at him. And by the way, he was just in his mid-twenties. <laughs> and he's already a success. But he just wasn't enough. He had this urge, this tug inside of him. And so one day he just said, you know what, this is not enough. There's got to be more to this. So he made the choice to go. Where did he go? He went to the interior of China. Now, China back then was mysterious. Not a lot of people knew about China. Uh, there were stories, of course, but, but this man got on a boat and went. He took with him some medical supplies and, and skills, but he still kind of stood out. In fact, a lot of people called him the black devil because he wore a long black overcoat. So what did he do? He said, you know, I've got to find a way in. So he decided he was going to go ahead and shave his head like they did. It's all around here. Let his hair grow. And he started wearing the same clothes that they did so that he was a little bit more, um, I don't know, acceptable. And so that's what he did. He would eventually make 18 trips. To China, living there several times for months, sometimes even years. And he distributed gospel tracts, he distributed portions of scripture, and from his choice to go, over 18,000 disciples were made. 300 uh, missionaries started to come, 126 schools, 500 volunteers and these are native volunteers. Now he would go on to make a difference. He would end up dying there on his last trip, 1905. We don't hear a lot about people like Hudson. We may see a story on Wikipedia or a story in the Bible Society. But because he went... That country is different. Now, you may think, oh, Christianity doesn't have a foothold there. I will disagree. In China right now, it is the fastest growing faith in the world. Because one man decided to go. Millions today are becoming disciples. 
So this month we're going to be talking about what it means to go. To go is active. To go is not, um, it, it's not something that is something you've done. It is, it is an active phrase. So as the people of God, which thank you, Michael, for last week, because God wants us to be His people, and we are calling God our God. And as the people of God, we aren't satisfied with simply sitting back and gorging ourselves on spiritual food. We got to go to Luby's yesterday. Yeah, we're excited. We don't have Luby's here, and I know you may think I'm odd. Have I said too much about myself? I love that place, and whenever I was a kid, I really loved it, because you just saw all of the food. And sometimes I kind of feel like that's what we do with church and spiritual things. We gorge ourselves on the, the sermons and on the class content and on the Christian music and on the books and on everything until we just are sitting back and we're full. Sometimes it's hard to move when you're so full. We don't want to be the people who just sit back and gorge on spiritual food. We want to be actively sharing that food with people who are hungry. And our vision here at this church is to be a people who, who reach up to God in worship, who reach in to one another in love and, and acceptance and service. And we want to be a people who reach out to a world and give them hope. Because we are a people who aren't still. We are a people, at least we hope to be a people, who go. So the message Jesus gave us as he left back to God, you could probably quote it, you've heard it so many times. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Making disciples. We hear that phrase. We don't use it a lot, but we hear it. We speak in terms of baptism, typically. We speak, uh, in times past, in terms of conversions, um, in terms of people obeying the gospel and those who were born again. Okay, but we don't really speak in terms of making disciples these days. We usually say, how many people have you led to, to the Lord? Or how many people have you baptized? We don't say, how many disciples have you made? So the word disciple is an kind of promotes or describes this ongoing pursuit. And maybe today we could use the word apprentice, maybe student. We could say intern, maybe, in some way. But a disciple is one who is following a certain way of life, a way of being, some, someone who is uh, in an active state of learning. Now, a lot of times we look at something and we're like, I don't want to learn anything else about that anymore. Please don't teach me. I don't hate school. I don't want to read. But a disciple is in an active state of learning. And I like this phrase, make disciples, because it, it is a fully present concept. And when we become disciples, I believe that we will always be disciples. If you're really saying, I'm going to follow, then, then it's not something you have done or or used to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a disciple. So in the days of Jesus, um, it was to be a disciple of a particular rabbi. It was a process you had to go through. 
You had to possess a certain level of intelligence or status. You know, and these were typically people, the ones who wanted to be disciples, these were typically people who had devoted themselves to learning, to studying, to following. So the typical Jewish man had a few ways that he could go. He could either follow in his father's footsteps and, and do what he did, take up his trade, or if he was smart enough, he would be able to continue in his studies. Now, at some point, if they were intelligent, smart enough, maybe even connected enough, they would choose a rabbi to follow. Now, they would seek that rabbi out. And if they made the cut, then the rabbi would accept him as their disciple. The student, he would move in with the rabbi. The student would live with them. He would learn to think like them, to see scripture like them. He would even learn to eat like them, to walk like them, to dress like them so forth. They would follow, they would watch and imitate this rabbi because they wanted to look just like their teacher. It was an honor to be a disciple of this person. We could say it's an honor to be a disciple of David Tim. That's a little pressure, right, David? But if you saw this person who was a disciple of this person, he would have the same mannerisms as this, as his rabbi. It was an honor to be a disciple. Remember Paul and in Acts, whenever he's talking about his pedigree and where he came from, his education, this is what he says. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Gamaliel was, the, was one of the guys back then. If you were under Gamaliel, that means you were in the top 1% of the top 1%. Gamaliel was that one in the New Testament, remember, whenever they're arguing about these men. And he says, listen, if it's of God, nothing we can do about it. But if it's of man, it'll go away. And he shut that whole Sanhedrin down. Gamaliel was Paul's rabbi until he met Jesus, of course. But Paul stated this, and, and that's typically the idea of a disciple. The Pharisees, they prided in being disciples of Moses. You hear this in Scripture. I'm a disciple of Moses. We follow Moses. But they had to have somebody to train them in what Moses had to say. So they would learn from somebody, and they would often learn under a rabbi. But it wasn't easy to become just a follower of any rabbi. So if you were a C and D student, you would go back to being a merchant. You would go back to being a mason or carpenter fishermen people would have just joined their father's business but jesus a rabbi in his own right did something that no other self-respecting rabbi would do he began to ask people if they would follow him he wasn't waiting for people to come to him he was actually going and asking people to follow him and i always wondered why peter and them had no problem at all leaving their father's fishing boat to follow this man jesus i mean can you imagine peter's father i mean i can just see peter i'm not going to slam the guy i don't even know him. he's not here to defend himself but he probably wasn't a very good student when he was younger because he's a fisherman and he's probably pretty good at it but can you imagine his father when this rabbi who everybody knows about this up-and-coming rabbi star Tells Peter, hey, come, follow me. And he tells his dad, and his dad says, you still have a chance? 
And then I don't even have to pay $250,000 or, or have someone take your SAT? Go! Oh, did something like that happen this week? <laughs> I mean, what Jewish parent would not want to see their child become an expert in the law? How cool is that? It'd be like Harvard coming to your door, knocking, saying, hey, by the way, do you want to go to law school? Yeah, we got it. We'll take care of it for you. All you got to do is just come and, come and follow me. I'll take you. I mean, what do you think his father's saying, all these guys? I used to think, man, how rude are Peter and his brothers for just leaving their father out there on the boat? But his dad's like, go, go, go. Don't walk, run. <laughs> you know, being asked by Jesus to be a disciple is a priceless opportunity. It still is. So Jesus was surrounded by disciples. Many. Not just male disciples. He had female disciples too. He had wealthy disciples. He had some poor disciples. He had young, old disciples. Mary, you know, the sister of Martha, she sat at Jesus' feet. And that is a phrase that tells you, oh, that's what the disciples did. That's how they learned. They sat at the feet of their rabbi. Mary was a disciple too. And these people, they went, they followed Jesus because they were hungry for God and they wanted to be like Jesus, to think like Him. They wanted to see Scripture like Him. They wanted to walk like Him and talk like Him. They were His students, His apprentices. The word there in, in, um, in Hebrew is Talmudim. They were disciples. And, and for a few years, they followed Jesus so closely. So when their Savior, their rabbi, tells them, go make more disciples, of Jesus Christ, then they knew exactly what he was talking about. It was a relationship. And they were going to do what Jesus did. They weren't going to sit back and wait, okay, y'all come and ask me if you want to be my disciple. No, his, their rabbi went and found people and made them disciples. It was a relationship. It was an intentional effort to teach others the way of their rabbi and to show others just like we've said how he thinks how he serves how he interacts with people to show them that it is important to follow in the steps of jesus and this is why whenever the apostles went to villages and towns it wasn't just for an evening service they went and they stayed days weeks months even they stayed for a while. We see Paul journeying through cities throughout Europe and Asia, and he stayed. Some of these places he stayed for a year or two. He showed them what it meant to breathe and live and walk and look like Jesus. Paul was making disciples. To the disciples of Jesus, to make other disciples was a privilege and an honor. And it's ongoing. And so he's told his disciples to make more disciples and have those disciples make more disciples. And we don't have to know everything. We don't have to have it all together. We simply have to just be willing to go, willing to show others what it looks like to follow. And fortunately, we're not alone. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in our classes. If you aren't able, if you haven't come, come. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and his 
role that He plays in our life. The Holy Spirit is doing the hard work. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to God and He's leading them to us. And He's helping us with courage and vision and mercy to show people how to live, how to love, and to be just like Jesus. Because people are hungry and they are searching and they need, they need to be asked to follow, to join, to come along. Many are so close. They're so close. But they haven't decided. I mean, who is that in your life? Those people who are right on the edge. They're kind of playing around with faith. They have questions. And you're worried because you don't know how to answer. So you just don't say anything. I've been there. Who is that in your life? And what happens if you pulled to Jesus <laughs> and you said, Hey, why don't you follow me? Come along with me. i got some things to share. What does that look like? It doesn't look like you immediately go and sit at your table and open the Bible. Maybe it does. But maybe in today's culture, maybe it starts with relationship. And every time you meet, you are thinking, how can I talk to them about my faith? It takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to to follow Jesus with everything you are. It takes a lot of courage to put yourself in uncomfortable situations in order to make disciples. It takes a lot of courage to show others what Jesus looks like. I mean, Hudson Taylor was willing to do all of that. He was a pharmacist. Smart, sure. Dynamic, I'm sure he was. Was he a religious scholar? Probably not. At first. But the world changed when he decided to go. And I know, we may not be called to go overseas. Sure, short-term missions, great. But we may not be called to, to, to serve God like that. We may be, the closest thing we may be doing is, is, is being called to the other side of the city. It's not that far away. I mean, Houston, it takes an hour to get from Houston to Houston. And, and here I'm already realizing, oh, the north side sits 15 minutes. We may be called just to go to the other side of town. Some of you may be called to go to the cubicle right next to you. Some of you, as you're having coffee, may be called to go to that person who's sitting by themselves. Some of you may even be called to go to the other side of this auditorium. Why is everyone giggling about that? What does it look like to go? My, my concern is that we have a whole lot of converts, but we may not have a whole lot of disciples in the world. And I've been on both of those spectrums. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. I think maybe some of us, we need to just pick our cross back up. Because the cross, although heavy, will lead us to life. Yeah, it may be cumbersome, and it may not be that attractive, but it will lead us to life.
I know you may have a voice inside your head that says, you know, I'm good on my own. I know this stuff may not really, uh, it's just not doing it for me. I'm not getting fed here. Whatever that voice is inside your head, it's flat wrong. It's a lie. Pick up your cross. So this is my challenge to you this week. It's really twofold. You know, be a disciple on your own, but also look to make disciples. That's what we've been called to do. Go may be all the way across the world. Go may just be here. Go may just be a word. Go may be a, um, an encouraging word. Go may be a prayer for someone. Going is active. Going is active. So my challenge to you, number one, is this. If you've stopped following, if you think you know everything that, there, that, that you need to know, if you've even stopped learning, if you hear a topic that we discuss in church and you're like, yeah, I know everything I need to know about that, uh, let's move on. My encouragement to you is this. Pick up your cross again. Be willing to learn. I know you're tired. I know you're probably hurt. I know things probably haven't gone the way you thought they would go. But that voice inside you that's telling you all that, as I said, is wrong. Pick up your cross. Number two, second challenge I'm going to have for you is to find somebody specific. Think uh, Probably people have already come to your mind. And if they haven't, maybe we need to get out more. Think of that one person in your mind. Think of them. Pour your life into them as Jesus poured his life into these 12 men and more. Think of those people. Maybe it's one. Maybe it could even be two. Pour your life into them. Call them. Text them. Be encouraging to them. Ask them to lunch. Ask them to coffee. Have them at your house, around your table for a meal. Show them who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow, what it looks like to be accepting, what it looks like to love and to show grace. I know it may seem uncomfortable, especially that initial step. But we don't have time to stay put. It's time to go. Those are my two challenges. I'm going to also encourage you in just a moment, don't leave during the invitation. I'm going to have one passage I want to read to you as soon as we're done with this response time. And I think it'll be encouraging to you. But my encouragement to you is that, is that we are praying for you. Our staff, our elders, we pray for you. Because... Because, man, we're inspired by you. And Satan wants to do nothing but get us distracted and help us to stay still. We have time to rest. God's built that in. But I think, really, we need to go, too. So we want to pray for you now. In just a moment, you're going to see some elders around. Some elders may even come up to you. We're going to have elders in our lobby. Shelly and I will be down here. We would love to pray with you. If you have a need, if you even just need us to pray that you can have the courage to say something to this person you're thinking of, just come down. I'll say a quick prayer over you. But respond. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's follow the Spirit. Thanks. You may be seated. Thank you, David. I'm just going to end with this. Paul spent his time in the Thessalonian church making disciples. And at the very beginning of that Thessalonian 
1 Thessalonians, he speaks of him. Listen to how he speaks of these people, these disciples that he made, the people he poured his life into. This is what he said. He says, We always thank God for all of you and continue to mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, that loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep, deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. You became imitators of the Lord. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, I love this, so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia, Achaia, and the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has been, become known everywhere. Man, I love that. Church is not the only place you can make disciples. Disciple making is an outward, active, every single day activity. And when disciples are made, this is the community that develops. This is what I feel like whenever I think of you. People know about Johnson Street. So my blessing to you is this. Have work that is inspired by faith. Labor, even though it is difficult, because you love. And endure, no matter what, because we have hope. And that's what the world needs. We're sending you today to a world who needs all of that. Amen.